Have you ever been inspired by a movie quote or something that happens in a movie, it triggers something in you and just inspires you a little bit, it sticks with you? There are certain movie quotes out there that they do inspire something in us. If it happens from what the movie says or maybe it's just a time in our life where that movie and that line brings us back to something, it triggers something there. There are movie lines that are super iconic and I don't even have to finish them. I can start those movie lines and I believe many of you can finish them for me. Should we test this this morning? We'll see how this goes. See if you can finish this for me. Start with a really easy one. May the force... Yeah, be with you. There you go. There you go. You can be a little bit more into this if you want. All right. Live long and... Nice. Nice. They're going to get easier, I think, here for a bit. You had me at... Yeah, there you go. That triggered something different in some of us who are like, you're doing sci-fi movies. Can you like go my direction? Along with that one, we'll do this one. Show me the money. Yeah, some of you know that and you haven't even seen the movie, right? You just know like, show me the money. You just want to scream it for some reason. If you know why or not, it's there. It's there. My mama always said life is like a box of chocolates. Why do we know that? Why do many of us know that? But we do. It's there. This one's, I'm going to do a few where it's just one word. Can you handle this? You can do it. You can do it. Here we go. Houston. We have a problem. Why? But like, if anyone says Houston, like even in regular life, my brain says we have a problem. It doesn't matter what it's about, but my brain is like, Houston, there's going to be a problem, right? That's just where it goes. If I say E.T., you say phone home. Why does he? I don't know. Can I tell you? I've never seen that movie the whole way through. I never have. Blasphemous thing, maybe. It is what it is. I don't really have an interest in it, but I know that E.T. is supposed to phone home for some reason. Here's a good one. We're going back to sci-fi, but you can get this one because if I say this, this is something my daughter used to repeat for me. I had her trained. She didn't know any better. She was two years old, but I would simply say a name and she would repeat the rest. So if I say Luke, I am your father. Why do we do that? But we do, right? And it was great. She was just a little two-year-old, and I could say Luke, and then she would say in an intimidating voice, I am your father. Yeah, it's great. It's a wonderful thing. If I say the name Bond, you say? Right after, right? Yeah, you can't say Bond without saying James Bond with it. And last one, this one's not, you get to just say one word, but I love that you're going to say this. If I say hasta la vista, but you got to say baby, right? Yeah, it's right there with it. Why do we do that? I don't know, but that just happened in church. It's okay. Now, I don't know if those movie lines inspired something in you or not. Probably a lot of those, those are kind of phony lines a little bit. That's okay. It probably more inspired something if that movie meant something to you or if a certain time in your life you watched that movie maybe with certain people and that inspired something in you. But there are some movies that stick out, some movie lines that stick out because they actually have meaning. As I prepared for the message this weekend, two fairly overquoted lines stuck out to me. I think maybe some of you can get these lines. From the original Spider-Man movie, we learn, with great power comes great responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. Do you believe that? The next one, I think this one's a little bit less known, less easy to quote, but from the first Lord of the Rings movie, The Fellowship of the Rings, we hear this line, and some of you might be able to finish it, all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. All we have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given us. 
I think those quotes and many others in movie like that, they trigger something in us. They trigger something, not just because of the movie, but because of our lives. Because each and every one of us, we recognize that we want our lives to have some kind of purpose to them. We feel like there should be more with who we are, with what we do. In church, we talk about our time, our talents, and our treasures, the things that we have all been given with, gifts from God that we have, time, talent, and treasures. And we know, we feel somewhere down inside that there has to be something more from that. We have these things, and they're not there just for nothing. They're not there just for our own personal enjoyment. There needs to be something meaningful that comes from them. We know it. We feel it. We want it. And we feel that little pull on us, especially as we get close to God. We feel a little pull on us that there should be something that we're doing with that stuff, right? We call that our calling, I want you to know this morning that you have a calling. When we say calling, we're not just talking about your career. We're not just talking about some kind of church volunteering and limit it to that. We're not just talking about something that pastors have in ministry, a calling. We're talking about all of us. Calling is the thought that God wants to use my, he wants to use your life. Those, that's time, that talent, those treasures, those gifts from him that he has a desire for you to use those things for the work of his kingdom in this world. You, you have a calling. You have a calling. Now, that's great. And I think if we check in ourselves and as we hear those quotes a little bit, we feel that. We feel a little bit triggered that we have a calling. But deciphering that calling and taking actual steps to live in calling is not so easily said and done. That brings us to this amazing chapter, in fact, the entire story of Esther, but it brings us to this moment here in Esther chapter 4. From this passage, we're going to come to some incredibly important details in understanding and how we can then discover our own individual calling. And then from that, we will come to understand how and what it looks like to put that into practice and what that takes? How do we know what our purpose is? How do we know when we should act, when we should do something with the gifts that we have in our lives? May we all be empowered by the opportunities before us as we understand our calling and we seek, each of us seeks to be a part of God's will. Further, may we be convicted that when in our lives, when we see God's gifts and his graces come together, we each have a responsibility to do something with them. Let's pray. Father, God, I pray over each individual here because I know that each and every one of us has had moments in our life where we've asked ourselves, what am I supposed to be doing? Who am I? There's got to be something more. God, what do I do right now? God, some of us are here this morning, they're joining in person online, and they're, they've got a big decision in their life. They've got something big that they want guidance in. They, they feel like there's a bigger calling, and they're looking for that. God, I ask that you would give us some answers for that this morning. God, I also know that all of us sit here in this room, in this moment, in this connection together, and, and we know that what we have should be used for something. And it's not some big day in the future. It's today, it's tomorrow, it's this week. We have gifts, 
and your grace is working in our lives and there's something that we can do for your kingdom. God, I ask for your blessing in that, that you would give us answers, that you would empower us, and that your kingdom would be glorified, would be raised high so that people see you and your son, Jesus Christ, and they seek to live for you. Bless us in these moments together, God. Bless us in these conversations. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading was from Esther chapter 4, the first bit of it. We're going to read the last bit of it in a little bit. I think we need to be come up to speed so we know exactly where and when this moment in history is happening. Otherwise, it doesn't quite have the meaning it deserves. In Esther chapter 4, we find a part in history. This is after Israel has become a nation. They were ruled by judges. Then they were ruled by kings, some of them very famous, King David and all of those, right? And so they had that period. But then they went through this time where they kind of fell away from God. Eventually, they were sacked. And we see that the Jewish people have been spread around that part of the world. And so right now, this moment in history actually takes place in Persia where in Persia, one of those Jewish families and Jewish individuals who's been spread around the world, somehow this individual Esther becomes Queen Esther. Yes, a Jewish woman has amazingly been made queen of this foreign kingdom. Now that's been done by God's work of grace in the world and God's work of gifts in Esther's life. And really all of that happened to come about so that Esther won what we kind of jokingly say was a huge beauty pageant. In many ways, that's what it was. She won that pageant and she became the new queen. This is great, right? One of the Jewish people was queen of this foreign nation. This should be a wonderful thing. But what we find in this moment is not everything is wonderful because as we started to read chapter four, it was gloom and doom, wasn't it? It started to talk about how like they're weeping and they're sad and they're upset and all of these things are happening, right? And it's because not everything is good news. There's a leader in the land named Haman and Haman is selfish and he's angry and he's upset with the Jewish people, most specifically one Jewish person, but he's like, I'm not going to take it out on one guy. I'm going to take it out on everybody. And so he helps put in law this rule that at a certain time and date, all the Jewish people are allowed to be attacked, killed, and all their possessions taken. And so they are to be killed. And so as we started reading this passage here in Esther 4, it starts with this moment where Mordecai, who is Esther's close family relative, who is very much like a guide to her in life, he hears this news and he responds in distress. Before we go anywhere further, let's address the elephant in the room. Yes, I said Mordecai. I said it that way. You're going to have to deal with it through the entire message. I'm sorry about that. So I heard this Bible story when I was a little kid in Good News Day Camp, right? And what we learn as little people stick with us. And so the way the name was taught to me was not Mordecai. I don't know where that came from, all right? But it is what pretty much all of you say. I get it, right? But I grew up saying Mordecai. So I'm going to ask that you not judge me as I continually say Mordecai. Can you do that? Yeah, you can. I won't judge you for saying Mordecai, but for some reason you're going to hold it against me. That's all right. It's going to happen. Mordecai, deal with it. <laughs> Here we go. We open this moment. Esther and Mordecai, right? They're in distress. Scripture talks specifically about Esther's distress. The word that talks about Esther's distress talks about how she's in such distress, she's moving. The word means to writhe in pain, to tremble in fear, even to the point where she is dancing. So we understand she is shaking. She's in such distress over this. Now, we get it. We are talking about the extermination of the Jewish people. Esther gets that. 
She gets what this means to Mordecai, that this is his life. And there's some questions in this moment. We don't really know what would happen if this went through. It means the Jewish people. It probably means Mordecai. Would it even find its way to Esther and her life as well? We don't know. That's up in the air. Now, we wonder what can be done about this. Esther is the queen. I think most of us think king and queen, like, they're right up there. They're the bosses of the whole kingdom, right? So shouldn't it be easy for Esther as queen to just make a decree and say, this is not what's happening. We're going to reverse this, right? Yeah, the Jewish people are going to be fine, but that's not, she doesn't have that kind of queen power. She's not in that position at all. In fact, we don't know that she has much power at all to make any kind of rule or decree, What she does have, we think, is of all the Jewish people, she has the ability to possibly have a conversation with the king. She might have that power. Maybe she could go and talk to him, and that is what Mordecai asks of her. But it isn't that simple. As queen, we would think she has unlimited access to the king, right? But she doesn't. In fact, she says to Mordecai, I haven't seen the king. I haven't been in his presence, been summoned to him in 30 days. And as a big kingdom, they have policies about these kinds of things. No one can just approach the king whenever. There's big business happening. Life is happening. You can't just interrupt the king at any point in time. And so anyone, even the queen, if she interrupts him unbrought forward, not wanted, it could mean her life. If anyone, even the queen, goes to the king and he does not extend his golden scepter, their life is forfeit. They are put to death. This is what she faces. And there's just a little bit of history here because it's important for us to know that there was a different queen before Esther. That queen was called by the king to come and do something and she refused. Now she wasn't put to death, but she was removed. That happened when someone came to the, or didn't come to the king when he wanted them to. What would happen to the queen who came to the king when he didn't want them to? So in this moment, we see the weight of this situation on Esther's shoulders. We should pause. There's a moment here that's missing. If you're reading the NIV translation of this passage of Scripture or the New Living Translation, which is, I believe, what we read here in service, there. There's a line that's missing that I think this whole situation hangs on in terms of Esther. At the start of the last sentence of what we read, it says, but 30 days, these are Esther's words, she says, but 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. But in other translations and in a better understanding of how Esther would say it, the weight that she would put on it, the actual words she said would have been this. She would have added these words to the beginning of that. She would have said, but as for me... 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. As for me. As for me. The incredible danger of the word me. Have you ever found yourself trapped in meism? Found yourself wrapped up in the problem that is me? As for me. Our time together this morning is for all of us to be empowered in recognizing that we have a calling in this world. To help us be empowered to understand how we can find that and how we can then live it. 
We want to discover the thing that God has made us to do and to be. We recognize the time and the talents and the treasures in our lives, and we want to put them to use in a very real and meaningful way. We want to make a difference. And so let me have you ask this thought in that. Before we even discover what that calling is, what is the greatest threat to our, to my, to your calling? What is the greatest threat to our calling? To us answering and living how God would want. To reaching out, to loving, to caring, to being like Jesus. What is the biggest threat to that? May we know that it isn't the world. It isn't some trial or tribulation or temptation out there. The biggest threat to our calling is ourselves. It is our selfishness. It is our pride. It is me. As for me. God has a will for this world, and in that, he would like you to be involved. There's only one thing that's going to stop that. You. There's only one thing that will stop it. There's only one thing that's going to stop God's work in my calling. That's me. Are you looking for your calling? Know that nothing will destroy that like selfishness will. We see it here in this moment. It is the turmoil in Esther's heart, right? God is preparing something incredible. It may not look like it now, but God is about to take this moment in history where it looks like the Jewish people in this nation are about to be destroyed and he's about to reverse it. He's about to empower them. He's about to give them riches. He's about to raise them up. All of that is on the verge of happening and the one thing that will stop it from happening in Esther's life is her own selfishness. Hard truth time. Can you handle it? Can you handle hard truth time? Are you okay with that? Let's shake up, like make sure we're okay with that. Yeah, we got to prepare ourselves. I got to swallow right. I took my vitamins this morning and like one of them's not agreeing and it keeps like the taste keeps coming back. Anybody ever have that happen? Yeah, it's not a great experience. Just if you see me struggling at all, that's where I'm at. That's okay. Can you handle this in this moment? Right now, if you want to yell at me how you properly say Mordecai in your own language, go ahead, yell that at me. Yeah, exactly. Mordecai, that's what I heard. All right, so... So here we are in this moment, and it's hard truth time. In the past, I have been a part of spreading a lie. What? Oh, man, what's about to happen? He's going to get fired, right? Yeah. Well, let me say, with good intention, I have been a part of spreading what I believe is a lie. When I look at this passage of Scripture and I see how God works, I recognize this. With good intentions, we say, I'm going to throw you under the bus too, right? We say, I have said, you can be anything you want to be. I spent a lot of time as a children's and teenager, a youth pastor, a lot of time, and I love that message to them. You can be anything you want to be. Is it true though? Can you really be anything that you want to be? And maybe more important than that, because I do believe you, can, you should shoot for a good career. You should shoot for a good, like, you should go forward and be something and somebody. But is this even what the world is about? Me being what I want to be. It's not what this whole world is about. I ask myself, does God promise that? Jesus does say in John 10.10 10, that he's come to give us life to the fullest, but I have to wonder if what I want to be is even life to the fullest, right? We know that Jesus says in John 16.33 that in this world you will have trouble. He says that directly. That's not what I want to be is trouble, right? But that's, that's the truth. That's not a promise that we would have. 
Second, I do really wonder, is what I even want to be what is right for me? Is what I want to be what's right for my family? Is what I want to be what's right for my world? The world isn't about me, it's about God being glorified. And I know that in that, God knows better what I, what we, and what the world needs. Is that discouraging to you? I don't know. It's not what we like to hear. It might be discouraging, but let me help you with this. You probably can't be whatever you want to be. And you probably shouldn't. But you can be whatever God wants you to be. And that is much, much better. It is much, much better for you, for your family, for the world. That is much better. Will our selfish desires destroy what we want? destroy what we can become in our lives, what can happen in our lives? And how is selfishness right now destroying what God wants to do, what God is calling me to be for this world? Selfishness almost destroyed Esther's life. But thankfully, Mordecai intervened. Mordecai did. This moment continues in verse 12, and I want to read it to you because I think it's really important. I'm reading from the NIV translation. This is what it says. It says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? It's the most popular line in Esther. This is the line of Esther right here, the entire book. And he says, and who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. There's a lot of value here, but let's first unpack what we understand about the truth of how God, his will, the world, and our calling all work together. There's some incredibly valuable truths that I think is important for us all to understand here. What do we learn? The first is this, our calling, that purpose in our lives is about God. It is about his will and his glory. Our calling is not about ourselves. It's not about me. It's about God. We recognize this further truth that no matter what we do, God's will, God's sovereign plan and decree, it's going to go on. It will happen. What does Mordecai say? He says, nothing that Esther does will change if God saves the Jewish people. If God decides I'm going to save the Jewish people, they will be saved with or without Queen Esther. It will happen. May we lean into that and find all the comfort and peace we need into that wonderful truth. Maybe that's all you need this morning. God's will in this world is going to happen with or without us or anyone else. It's going to happen. But I think we're Esther in this moment. We want to know what we should do. 
So what can Esther control? She can't control if God's will happens. What she can control is her acceptance of her own calling. She controls if she's going to be a part of God's will, a part of God's plan. She decides her part in this. That's there for us as well, right? We have the decision, will we be a part of God's amazing work in this world or not? One note, and I have to be honest with you, this is something that I'm processing, but it's so big to me. As a husband, as a father, as a person in this church, as a person whose life is filled with people that I love and care about, this matters to me a lot, and it's something that I'm, I'm really processing. This passage of Scripture, what does it say about Esther and who her actions will impact? What does it say? Does it say that it will just impact her? It does not, right? It says that her actions will impact her and her family. And I don't think that was said by accident. As we process this, we recognize God's will, our free will to make decisions for ourselves and the influence that we have. It it influences not just our life, it influences the people around us. Our desire to live God's will, to live our calling, to use our time and our talents and our treasures, it impacts us and it impacts those we love the most, those that we influence. May we recognize that being a part of God's will influences the ones we love. May we lean into all these truths. May we ask ourselves, are we playing our part in God's will? You have a calling. I have a calling. Are we living it? What if we're not? May we understand this. If we're not, the true impact is not to God's plan or to his will for the world. The impact is on us and on those that we hold dear. Now to the big question. How do we know we're being called by his will? How do we discover God's call for us? We see this truth in that famous line of Mordecai's in verse 14. He says this, he says, And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. This is our Spider-Man and Lord of the Rings moment. With great power comes great responsibility. All we have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given us. We discover our call when we see God's gifts in our life, our time, our talents, our treasures, when we see God's gift paired with his timing, his hand, his grace in the world. When gifts and grace come together, we find our calling. Let me say that again. When gifts and graces come together, we find our calling Look at what it meant for Esther. What came together? Royal position and time, but even more than that. God gave her this royal position as queen, but he clearly provided her with gifts of graciousness, hospitality, mercy, and more. Gifts that seemed impossible for someone her age. Gifts that we will see if you read further into this book, she's going to put to use in saving her people. We also see timing. We see God's grace setting the timetable for how this is happening, allowing Esther to be in this position at just the right time, setting up conversations, building connections, bringing people together, clearing the way in the world, saying this moment, this conversation, it happens right here, right now. The moment is set. Even allowing Esther to meet the king despite the perils of this situation, giving her this wonderful setup for her to have this conversation with the king 
The setup is real and it is clear and it is there. We discover our call when our God-given gifts pair up with God's graceful timing. So as we close, what does this mean for us? What do we do with this? This is where I always battle when it comes to a sermon. What do I do in this moment? What does this mean for us? If you're in a moment in your life right now where you're looking to make a big decision, it might be about a career, it might be about a purchase, it might be about where or how you live, it might be about a relationship and if it's right or not, or, or what you can do in that relationship. If you've reached one of those big moments in your life, I want you to know that when I come to those moments all throughout my life, this is what I have lived and this is what I have seen happen. I have looked at the gifts, the things that God has given me, and I say, has God given me the answers, the connection, the whatever, to be a part of this moment? And then I look and I see, is God shaping the world around? Is he, is he setting things up that only he can to make this happen in those big ways? Then it's time for me that is my calling. I can tell you every move I've made has been a part of that. Our family's move here over a year ago was this very thing. God clicking something in my mind saying, you have the gifts to answer something here and putting it there and putting it there. And then I started to see his grace clear the way. It was God's clear way of saying, move. It's time. Do something. Do something. And he gave me that little bit of unsettledness that said, I'm not going to be happy unless I use these gifts and unless I let the world see his grace there. Step into that. That is a calling. Right now, if you're facing that moment, I encourage you to look for that. What has God gifted you to do? And how is he shaping the world for you to make a step, a movement, a splash to glorify him? Here's the thing. As I get wrapped into this, I think that's incredibly true. And if you leave here with nothing else than understanding that, that when it comes to your calling, that comes from gifts and graces to come together. If we've learned that and that's nothing else, that's wonderful. This morning has been awesome and, and whatever. Turn your brain off now. If you want to go home frustrated with how he said more to KI and remember those facts and just enjoy that and that's totally fine. But I want you to know I think there's something more here. Because I don't really believe that this is all about like those big decisions. I believe this is about today, right now. I believe this is about the people we influence every week and every moment of our lives. This is about them being influenced for good. I look at this passage and I say, what's the biggest ways that God used Mordecai or Mordecai, however you want it, what's the biggest ways God used him and God used Esther? It was by setting up and empowering conversations, wasn't it? Mordecai's, this whole verse, this whole chapter was, was just a conversation that went back and forth between Esther and Mordecai and how God used him to speak into her life, building her up for her to have a meaningful conversation with the king. This is about conversations. It's about all of us recognizing that God is empowering us right now. He has given each and every one of us, and I know and I feel this like nothing else, that God has put people in my life that only I have the ability or in a meaningful way to have a conversation with that I have to, he's prepared me to do it. He's given me the gifts to bless them with my time, my talents, and my treasures to catch their attention and to speak into their lives. If, as this sermon series is about, if I am strong and courageous and faithful enough to recognize all that I've been given and how I can speak into someone's life and to have that conversation. 
And I see this on two levels because first there's that thing I recognize for me as a parent, it's my responsibility to have those conversations that no one else can have. That is my responsibility and it is yours as well. And you have individuals in your life who you can have that conversation with. But I also recognize the other side of this, that it's not just the conversations. It's the influence that each and every one of us has when we answer our calling. When we as Christians selflessly put ourselves to the side and say, I'm going to take these gifts, these time, these talents, and these treasures, and I'm going to use them for God. That changes people. I can have thousands of conversations with my children, with my wife, with my friends and my family, with my world and my church. I can, I can scream things from the heavens. But the thing that will change their lives is when they see it's real in me. When they see me say, this isn't about me and I put myself to the side and I just live what God has given me to bless others. That changes people. I know some of you right now, you're sitting on conversations. You're sitting on influence. I can't tell you how that's going to shape out. I can't tell you exactly what to do. I can't tell you how to use your time, your talents, and treasures to specifically impact their life. I can't tell you how to do it. Why can't I? Because that's what God's grace does. I can tell you that every time I've stepped up to those moments, there's been a faith aspect. The way God's grace usually works like it did with Esther is he starts to clear the way and then he waits for us to move forward, right? Once we start to move forward, then the grace really starts to kick in, doesn't it? But I know this. We're sitting on these moments where we can make a difference in somebody's lives. We've been blessed. God has given us the opportunity. And I ask you this. Who knows that you've been given this moment, this position, this life for such a time as this? Let's pray. Father in heaven, God above, I give you these moments now. God, I pray over each individual here and those joining us online. God, there's so much influence in this room, in this space, in this place. The ability to change others. God, may we recognize that we have responsibility in others' lives and we have the chance to speak, to use our time and talents and treasures to be a blessing. But God, there's an even bigger influence sitting right here. It's people who like Esther say, it's not about me anymore. I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to serve others. And the influence that that sets. God, I pray over the parents, the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles, those who have influence over young people. Let them be people who sacrifice and let that influence be seen. God, I pray over those who have to have conversations right now with family members who are estranged from them. They're looking for ways to have that conversation and what needs to be said and how much should be said and how much should they give. And, and, and we worry about being taken advantage of and we worry about our own hearts and so many things. God, I pray over them right now. By, their, by your grace, may they know how to take those steps forward. God, I pray over marriages and relationships here this morning that are broken or stressed. We have the power to close that gap. It starts with selflessness. 
It comes further when we sacrifice for others. Be with us in that, God. Close those gaps. Mend those relationships. Work in our hearts. God, for each and every one of us, may we leave here seeking to live for you. May you be glorified by our actions. Bless us as we seek to live out our calling. Be with us now, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.